0: Support from MarketFoolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life, that's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgagecom fool It's Monday, August 7th, welcome Mark Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today for million dollar portfolio Jason Moser and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Hey. hey. Hello there. Holy cow, do we have news. We've got entertainment news, automotive news, we've got a big deal in the travel industry. But we start with this reminder. Wednesday, just two days from now, August 9th, we are going to be taping Market MarketFoolery live at Chatter in D.C. It's at the corner of Wisconsin Avenue and Jennifer. Look it up on the internet. Chatter, DC. Also, we've tweeted this up, but we'll tweet it again. The doors open at eleven thirty a.m. Uh, that's when we'll be taping, and we'll be hanging out for a bit afterwards. And uh, we will be bringing some full swag. Yeah. So come on out to Chatter on uh, if you're in the DC area on Wednesday. Let's start with Tyson Foods, which is on the rise this morning. Their third quarter numbers looking good on the top line and the bottom line, and Taylor when the price of beef and chicken and pork go up that is good news for Tyson
1: yeah when you're the number one. US meat pro- processor yeah totally um, they spend a bunch of more money than they typically do on the chicken side of things so that hurt earnings a little bit but as you mentioned uh, volumes are up prices are up uh, we love our meat here in America apparently <laughs> Well, <laughs> I mean, and around the
0: bad. world too yeah I mean, around th- the world yeah. there's a fair amount of exporting that, mm-hmm. that went into this quarter.
1: Yeah, there was, and they made an acquisition in April. They're closing it in June and July of this year. Um, so, they're still working towards that of advanced Pierre, um, more of like a pre-made sandwiches provider. Uh, kind of falls right in line with the Hillshire purchase they made back in 2014, really trying to ramp up prepared foods. And uh, that's been carrying the business, and they're looking at a record year for EPS, share counts down over the last couple of years, and just throwing off a ton of cash.
0: And one of the things I read this morning is that Tom Hayes, who is the CEO at Tyson Foods, and he's he just started in January. Uh, one of the things he's doing is some restructuring, but not um, not in the, the, the main way that we think of corporate restructuring. This is really in terms of his executive team and uh, making things more streamlined in terms of the presidents of each division mm-hmm. who are reporting to him. So. First quarter of this year. I mean, if you look at a stock chart just of this year, it is up slightly for the year. But really, it's just been in the last few months that they've they've bounced back.
1: Yeah, they have. And uh, you know, when you keep making acquisitions like this, streamlining. You got to pay for it. Yeah, exactly (laughs) that. And but they've got the cash flow to do it. Um, they're kicking off over two billion in, in operating cash flow and not spending a whole heck of a lot on capital expenditures outside of these acquisitions so um, it's, it's flowing right down to the to the bottom line and as i mentioned share share purchases are are making a dent uh, after they've issued shares a few years ago uh, to pay for that hillshire acquisition so bringing that back down in line and and paying a dividend of a little bit over one and a half percent so uh, seem to be on solid footing and Uh, It certainly doesn't seem like the world is going to stop eating anytime soon. Let's hope not.
0: (laughs) Tyson Foods, uh, uh, excuse me, Marriott. Marriott shares up this morning after the hotel chain announced a deal with Alibaba that enables Alibaba users to book Marriott hotel rooms on Alibaba's site.
2: Well, maybe Tyson felt a bounce from that because they figure more people staying at Marriotts means they're going to be eating more steak, chicken, yada yada. Hey, you yada. Got that breakfast buffet. Coming. I mean, let's just look at the bigger picture here. Exactly. Right?
0: Um, th- this seems almost as big a no brainer as you can get. Sure, but obviously, it took a little bit to work this deal out.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I mean, it's a win for both companies. I mean, I think when you, when you look at a business like Alibaba, I mean, the value there really is in the network. And the greater the network, the more value, and it just sort of goes in this loop on repeat, right? It just keeps growing that network larger and larger, and it gives you more and more reason to be in that network and stay in that network. And so uh, for Marriott, it's an additional point of distribution. And I think this matters really. Alibaba is looking to, to take advantage of that, that massive and growing online travel space, um, and, and it's it, from, from uh, domestically, here to China, to everywhere in between. I mean, travel is a major opportunity with Marriott. I mean, Marriott is the biggest hotel company in the world, uh, post the Starwood acquisition. Uh, very well-run company. Uh, it is one we still have on the watch list at MDP, and we just, you know, we've identified we've identified the price. It's just it's not for us a buy at any price kind of company. But so you're upset that the stock is up this morning? <laughs> we don't like it when that happens. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm happy for current shareholders. I can't. Deny. There is a part of me that would love to see this thing pull back a little bit, but generally speaking, I mean, this makes a lot of sense, and I think it's also interesting that uh, it will also open up the Alipay Pay platform, so that not only are you able to find and book rooms via Alibaba, you're able to integrate that payment system into the Marriott properties where you may go stay. Um, so, I mean, this this all sort of boils back down to the numbers that. Uh, We're seeing here projected over the coming five years and beyond as the Chinese middle class starts to expand. Uh, You know, Taylor and I were talking before uh, taping, and you know, once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's it's really tough to get it back in there. What I mean by that is that the more that the Chinese taste sort of that free market capitalism style of of economy the the more difficult it becomes to put a cap back on that and i think you'll see as the chinese middle class continues to grow i think you'll see spending continue to grow with it and and travel is just notoriously a great opportunity so it makes a lot of sense for alibaba to try to tie up here with marriott and i think for marriott it gives them another really valuable distribution point, particularly in the age of your Airbnbs, where they're seeing more competition, certainly on the consumer side.
0: Well, and if you're Alibaba, you have presumably a pretty healthy financial incentive To push those search results up when people are looking to travel, and to, you know, I was going to say without being intrusive, but hey, maybe they do want to be (laughs) intrusive to essentially guide people who are on Alibaba's site straight into Marriott properties. Yeah, they
2: want to be politely intrusive, and I mean it's just like any anything else. I mean, Google, Facebook, Amazon; these are all properties that are trying to use the data they glean from our usage uh, in in becoming uh, more valuable to us in I mean on the one hand you can view it as maybe being a little bit intrusive and in that you're probably giving them a little bit more information than you would want to but on on the other hand I mean they are able to find out more about the things that you like, the places you want to go, the things that you want, and can serve you more relative uh, sort, of, sort of offerings in that regard.
1: It's one of those things where you kind of hate it in the back of your head, <laughs> yeah. but as it's happening, as you see it understanding you better, you're like, oh, wow, this is pretty darn convenient. Sure. It's really not that bad of a deal.
0: Jason, I'm assuming the answer to this is no, but uh, is there any chance that Marriott would break out this information in their in the upcoming quarterly results? Um, maybe not necessarily in in a press release or something like that, but on a conference call, is this the sort of thing where if an analyst asks them, Okay, so six months ago you announced this joint venture with Alibaba. How's that working out and can you put any numbers beside
2: it? Yeah, I suspect what we would see in the near term at least would be just sort of the gratuitous Things are working great. Talk, you know. I mean, it was all just very, excited. very excited about the you know the synergies. I mean, synergy. I'll probably be bandied about there a little bit, but um, in the near term, I don't I don't suspect we'll see any real firm metrics now. If it if it gains traction, becomes a meaningful driver, then I think they'll have more reason to tout it. So we'll have to just uh, stay tuned.
0: Elon Musk said that last week on Tesla's conference call that. That company would not be doing another equity offering. And uh, today he backed it up because Tesla announced the company is going to sell $1.5 billion in a debt offering. We knew they needed money. And I think for anyone who takes Elon Musk at his word, if you listened to that conference call last week, then it became clear that it was. It was not a question of if; it was just a question of when are they going to announce a debt offering because they weren't going to issue more shares.
1: Yeah, they've got less cash than they did at this time this year. We know that they need it. We know that they're going to continue to need it. Um, over half a million now uh, pre-orders for the Model Three, um, and that's the kind of production level they're trying to get to in the next couple of years is about five hundred thousand cars a, a, a year. When they are only about a hundred, a little over a hundred this year, so um, definitely some work to do. And, and the cash burn is, is a real deal over there. So.
2: Yeah, I mean I think with with we've said it's a matter of of when and not if. I mean with with Tesla it really boils down to which would you rather have? Share dilution or additional debt because it's going to be one or the other, mm-hmm. and and I think at some point or another, I mean, I, I believe that this debt offering is is going to be it's going to involve some junk debt, rating, yeah, for the some first time, rating, which yeah. is which is significant in that at some point or another, it's going to become more more attractive an option just to go ahead and issue equity. Um, so, I mean, if you look at it historically, I mean, since 2012, Tesla's share account is up about 45%. I mean, it's no shock that they're going to have to continue to access capital markets in one form or another. I mean, I think, really, it just boils down to, uh, do you do you believe in this story? And if so, how far do you think it'll go? Because I can tell you this, that what they're doing, and, and again, I mean, I admire what Elon Musk is doing, and I'm, I'm 100% for it, but as an investor, you've got to look at this and recognize the fact that it is going to require a lot of money for a long period of time. Because, I mean, everything these guys do is extremely capital intensive. I mean, whether it's building cars, batteries, gigafactories, whatever, it involves a lot of money. Um, and so, when I look at Tesla as an investment, I mean, I'd say the 10 year picture is probably more attractive to me than the three year picture. Because, I mean, this isn't the last time they're going to have to access capital. But I mean, the flip side of this is is that with Tesla, you've got a pretty good window into demand, and and so like with the Model Three, for example, they have a pretty good idea of how many they need to build initially. Um, I mean, granted, some cancellations come through, but but they have a pretty good. Good idea there. How many cars they need to build? How many people want them? Um, And so so that's a plus. I mean, their next step is going to be in semi trucks, according to the letter, and it's not going to stop there. I mean, this is a car company, a battery company, a power company. I mean, they're trying to do things to to fundamentally impact our world for the better. And so there's a psychology in play here that really. Gives you a stock that is completely detached from the fundamentals of the business, and that's the leap of faith you have to make as an investor. And I think with this one in particular, you have to be able to say, "All right, I'm okay with holding these shares for the next ten years because I know it's going to be a bumpy ride."
0: Uh, for anyone interested in more on the automotive industry, check out the most recent episode of Molly Fool Money. Uh, our guest is Paul Leinert, who has covered the automotive industry for thirty years. It's always great to talk to Paul and and one of the reasons I love, uh, I've interviewed him a few times. one of the reasons I love talking to him is uh, he just tells it like it is. So one of my questions to him was about, Elon uh, Elon Musk and, and sort of his prediction which you referenced Taylor the whole 500,000 cars in mm-hmm. in 2018 and you know I posed my question and he said I don't he essentially said I don't mean to be rude but your question is moot like <laughs> essentially it doesn't matter what he predicts it it, it, it really doesn't matter yeah, I mean
2: uh, when you look at things like the Model 3 I mean there was this big hubbub made about the first Model 3 being delivered the Model 3 deliveries coming out I mean, you have to look at that as basically like the Dow 21,000, right? I mean, it is a headline. It's a milestone. It it doesn't mean really anything else. I mean, it's a it's a good thing. It's a positive thing, but it doesn't mean game over. It means it's really just getting started. Mm-hmm. So I think the market really loves to focus on that because it's a great story. But man, let's look at really the hard work now that's that's coming up in in building a lot of those model threes, and then further. Building semi trucks, and and further than that, uh, completely reshaping our nation's and and potentially the world's power grid. I mean, it's just—it's amazing to think about the things that Musk has in his mind. And, And I would recommend too, if you get out there on the internet and Google up Elon Musk's plan to get to Mars. I mean, read that thing. It is amazing on so many different levels, but it is just really, I think, a great window into how he thinks. And if you're gonna be a shareholder of Tesla, you need to I think have, have a good good idea of sort of how his brains work and the way he's he's looking at things.
0: Before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, your life, the potential that we will actually get to Mars. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. And you want to be confident because it's the most paperwork you're ever going to do for any single purchase in your life. To get started, go to RocketMortgage.com/fool. Equal Housing Lender licensed in all 50 states and MLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030. When you're buying a home, refinancing not as much paperwork, but buying a home, oh, so much paperwork.
2: More paperwork buying a home or filling out the Student loan stuff for your kid Ooh, go to college. You know that's a good being question. Being that you have a child, <laughs> I've, that is... I, yeah,
0: I've done both. Um, so, I th- so buying a home involves more paperwork. the um, The process that you go through is simpler, thanks in no small part to to places like Rocket Mortgage. Um, that's an easy, easier system now and and a, and a better platform. While it's technically less paperwork. To do the whole college loan thing, the platform that you're you're doing it on is, is um due for a fresh coat of paint. Let's put it that way. So that's that's kind of painful. Netflix is getting further into original content, and for that they need original content. And today they went out and bought some. Netflix is acquiring Malar World, which is the publisher behind franchises like Kingsman, the Secret Service, Kick-Ass, and Wanted. Which all started in print form and ended up being a pretty successful set of movies. Uh, this is—I don't want to say this is akin to Disney buying Marvel, um, but it is in the same vein. The Marvel universe is so vast and so deep. Uh, this is sort of like a miniaturized version of that, though yeah, I think in terms a- of in terms of the the characters and stories they have. In the acquisition of Millar World, and the ways that they can use it.
2: Yeah, it's a page right out of that playbook, right? I mean, it's like we say. I think every quarter, I mean, content is king, and I think this really does sort of back that up. It's it's uh, no secret that Netflix is moving more and more into original content, and uh, this gives them an interesting sort of avenue into that IP, which. Certainly can carry a longer life due to you know animated nature, at least in its original form. I mean, it sort of can can go a million different directions, and we've seen that with things like uh, Marvel and with Lucasfilm and even Pixar to a lesser degree with Disney. So, I, I mean, this interesting that it's their first acquisition. I mean, I actually I was a little bit surprised by that just because I hadn't really thought about it, but I guess that does make sense. I don't know they've done any real acquiring. Um, it's pretty
1: astounding organic growth. Yeah, the past I mean, it decade, is. It doesn't so. really speak to <laughs> yeah.
2: the success that the business has had to date and how, how well they uh, really have done building out a platform that everybody just kind of views as uh, sort of a must have now. And and this just gives them another way to, to really separate themselves from the competitors in the space because that is really what's differentiating any of these. I think we're at the point now where TV is basically a streamable product. And and that's how people are sort of getting their their offerings, and it's a matter of um, what content you like, and then signing up for the services that provide that content. And I'm not really very well versed on Millar World or uh, the content that comes from it, but it seems like it has enough interest to where uh, Netflix sees a future.
1: Yeah, I'm not too familiar with the either, but I do know that the last couple of movies they've made have. Brought in three four hundred million dollars, so I mean it's nothing to you know bat an eye at, and I'm wondering if they're going to like produce a movie and then sell it externally, or if it's all just going to be Netflix only content where you have to be a subscriber to get access to it.
0: Well, and and I think it's worth revisiting the point that you made earlier, Taylor, which is all the more impressive that Netflix has made it this far on original content Mm -hmm. that they have not. Owned. And what that means is going out and talking to showrunners and creators and that sort of thing. Now, I think with this acquisition, Netflix is in a fantastic position because there are absolutely going to be people that they've already worked with that are going to be interested in this source material. So it's not a situation where they go to where they're basically taking meetings with people saying, okay, tell us what your ideas are. With this purchase, they've got the ideas, they've got the intellectual property, and now it's an even better position to be in, where you're essentially fielding offers from showrunners saying, "Oh, you've got the Kingsman property. Here's my idea mm-hmm. for a four-season-length uh, show that can be rolled out over the next
1: five to six years." Yeah, they don't have to stick with movies. That's the great thing about right. it.
2: Yeah, yeah, just like with Disney. I mean, you can you can use that those properties. I mean, take a Kingsman movie and develop. Backstories for characters and right. take them in all different directions, a la Disney. And uh, I mean, it really is. It, it, it I don't want to say limitless, but it certainly has to feel that way. At least at this point, in that I mean, they can go a number of different directions with it. And yeah, I mean, wow. You know, I think what Netflix does so well, what they've always done so well, and this is because they were really such an innovator in the space, is they use data to figure out what viewers want I mean they wouldn't go making this acquisition willy-nilly I don't think this wasn't something just to say oh we're gonna stake our claim on some IP and then just say we have IP they went into this knowing that there were people that wanted to watch this stuff I mean you don't make like a deal with Adam Sandler to make like six Adam Sandler movies without knowing that people want to watch them I'm still fascinated that there's such a demand for them <laughs> out there but but nevertheless that's the case uh, I'm, I'm certain they did the same thing here
0: oh yeah I mean, two kick-ass movies. Uh, the, the Wanted movie, which came out in 2008, and well, the second Kingsman movie is coming out in theaters later this year. I'm assuming the first one has already been on Netflix. So, yeah, to your point, they've already got all of the data on those four films, and how many people are watching them, re-watching them, and how big the universe of people who have watched You know, one or
2: more than one, all that sort of thing. So, Mabel, really, I think we probably need to shift this. Now, data is king, and content is just the result, right? Data is really what it all comes down to. You get the data, and then you make the content. Is that it? But can you make the content without the uh, IP? I mean, it's it's. You got to start with the content. I mean, this we could go all all day with this thing. I mean, I oh, mean, let's not. <laughs> yeah. That's that's why <laughs> we have Bill please. That's For why we have Bill. Sake. That's why we have Bill Barker. Point <laughs> <laughs> well taken. <laughs>
0: Jason Moser, Taylor Mucker, and thanks for being here, guys. Hey, Chris, thanks. thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.